Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, hey, hello. Leavers, believers, and everybody else, welcome to Leaving Hillsong. It's our final episode for 2023, and it lands on New Year's Eve, uh, Sydney time anyway. And what a year it has been. Wow. My name's Tanya, and I'm super happy that you've joined us today. We've got a quite a, a serious but... A really clarifying conversation with an expert in criminal law. His name is Andrew Teat and he is a criminal law specialist accredited in New South Wales in Australia. He practices exclusively in criminal law and is an old friend of our Leaving Hillsong legal advisor, Nick who very kindly recommended his expertise for this judgment. So there's a few surprises here, a few things that we may have uh, needed clarifying along the way, and Andrew very kindly does that for us. As a quick catch-up, the former senior global pastor of Hillsong, Brian Houston, was charged with one count of concealing a serious indictable offence. That trial took place at the end of 2022 and the verdict was delivered on August 17th of this year. And it took us a little while to get the transcripts. Uh, The judgment was not available anywhere and once that came through I uh, made a time with Andrew and this is the resulting chat. So while you're getting ready for your great and wondrous New Year's Eve, don't they always turn out so well? Come chat with us and have a listen to Strange and Malleable Things. Andrew, good afternoon. Hi, it's lovely to see you. It's nice to see you too, finally. Uh, it, we've been in touch for a while. You're a, you're a 
colleague or, or friend, I'm sorry, of, of our own. Oh, I'm, I'm, Nick's, Nick's a very old friend of mine, that's all. Our own little pod has very kindly, a uh, legal expert has been helping us, uh, guiding me in particular, so that I don't make too many huge mistakes illegally, particularly when the trial was on last December of, of Brian's. Nick is an old friend of yours. So you've come very highly recommended. Oh, that's too kind. Thank you. Please, you know, can I can I get you to tell us a little bit about yourself? I'll introduce you. Andrew Teat is a criminal law specialist. I've mentioned it a couple of times on the pod that you would find some time for us, and I'm so very grateful that you have today of all days, the week before Christmas too. So thank you so much. Would you just tell us a little bit about you and how you came to know this case. Sure. So, so I'm a criminal lawyer working in Sydney. Um, I've done nothing but, oh, I'd say, crime and crime-adjacent work uh, for the past 16 years. So it's, it's exactly what I do. I, I've known a bit about this case because it's been a big uh, topic of conversation in criminal law circles. Okay. Any high-profile matter attracts attention and lawyers love a gossip and a chat and a, have you heard about the thing with the stuff? And there have been lots of lawyers chatting about what's going on and what's happening and how we thought it would shake out and all these kind of things. And I've just by coincidence, walked past the courtroom and stuck my head in and seeing what's going on. So it's been something criminal lawyers have talked a lot about uh, ever since the prosecution was first brought. Interesting. Okay. I mean, is there a reason for that or is it, I mean, I'm wondering if there are going to be issues with lawyer-client privilege as opposed to concealing, a, you know, a crime. Is that an issue or am I being... Oh, this, is just, this is criminal lawyers around Sydney. There's, there's one law firm acting for Brian and there's 150 other law firms wondering what's going on behind the scenes. Mm. Um, criminal lawyers love to chat about what's going on. And as, as I said, we're all in these courts every day. We all know these magistrates. We all know these lawyers. And yeah, we love a gossip. So there's been lots of conversation about this matter. Are you able to uh, comment on um, Magistrate Christofi, who oversaw the trial? I mean, he's very well thought of. He's a professional, hardworking, intelligent, smart lawyer. I don't know him very well. I've done some work in front of him, but certainly he's someone who has a good reputation in Sydney. Okay. Well, I mean, I was there for every day of the trial and, you know, he, he was very attentive and, and really taking in the details, which, which is kind of why I found the, the verdict a little bit hard to understand. And I oh, know I'm not alone there. We just... We just, I mean, just before we jumped on this recording too, on this pod, we were talking about how the laws changed. Now, over the course of 2018, I mean, there, there was quite a public campaign to get the crime of concealing a serious indictable offence raised to a, a, a more serious, uh, as it had been explained to me, it was in the same league as jaywalking or use of bad language in public. And through a process of campaigning, this was brought to the Attorney General in New South Wales. And, and the severity of that crime then changed to being five years for concealing a serious indictable offence, seven if there were a benefit. Now, that's what I was told. The, uh, the police were then given more powers because it's a more serious crime and therefore they were able to investigate Brian more thoroughly. Now, I mean, this is, you know, very layman's again, so please tell me 
you know, your understanding of, of how they charge Brian for something from 1999 that, you know, knowledge of something from the, the 70s. It, it, to a lot of people, I think it seems very far away and kind of old, but, you know. Well, I, I can say when it comes to historical child abuse matters, the courts are very accustomed to dealing with very old matters. There are some people who are prosecuted for alleged offences 50, even 60 years ago. So delving back into history is something that criminal law is very accustomed to doing. As far as the offences, we've had in New South Wales an offence of concealing a serious indictable offence for a long time. In layman's terms, concealing a serious offence. Um, and that's been an offence for, for decades now. And indeed, that's the specific offence Brian Houston was prosecuted under. The section has been changed a bit in the last couple of years to increase the maximum penalties. So it can be up to five years in prison for committing that offence now. Mm -hmm. when previously there was a, a lower maximum that applied. Now, in 2018, there was a new offence introduced, and that offence is entitled Concealing a Child Abuse Offence, and that is a more serious offence uh, for concealing an, an offence of child abuse, as the okay. name says. But that only applies to offences that occurred after the introduction date, uh, except with a few very mm -hmm. rare circumstances. Generally speaking, criminal offences are not retrospective. As I said, there are a few very rare yeah. specific circumstances, but generally speaking, they can't introduce a law today and prosecute you for breaking the law last week, which is just common sense when you think about it. And without knowing all the ins and outs of what went on, I fancy that the police have had to prosecute Brian under the old law because there was no way that the new law could be made applicable. Because as you say, this is stuff that happened in the 90s. And the, the new section of concealing a child abuse offence didn't exist then. That's, I guess, a, a story to follow up later on. I must have somehow confused the information. I mean, that's quite that's very... It is confusing, offence to you. <laughs> well, I mean, we had been told that a special task force had been formed just to investigate Brian and that they had more powers, like phone um, tapping. I, I, I certainly don't doubt that there was a task force. And... The new powers, I'm not particularly clear on. There are some things police will only do for a certain seriousness of allegation. I don't know if that's what was meant by fresh powers. It, it is certainly an offence more serious than jaywalking or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it carries, it carries jail as a maximum, which lots of offences, like summary offences, such as jaywalking, don't, or traffic yeah. offences generally. But only, I mean, sorry, only since 2018, right? No, I'm concealing a serious and valuable offence has been an offence since 1990, at least, if not before. Available? Yeah, th th okay. that's why I was prosecuted. So if I'm, mm. I'm just looking at a historical version of the Act now, there's a great little resource online that lets you dive backwards into legislation. Oh, what's that called? It's on the New South Wales Legislation website. As of certainly 1991, concealing a serious and valuable offence carried two years jail as a maximum. Okay, okay. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Because at least that far back. It was quite a big campaign, so I'll, I'll, I'll explain that to you. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so he's just been charged. Because, I mean, we I, were, sorry, we were all under the impression that this was some kind of a test case or something. These prosecutions are unusual. Uh, I don't think a test case would, would be quite an accurate description. I mean, this isn't, we aren't necessarily breaking new ground here. People have been prosecuted, certainly under the section, many times before. So it's it's not a common prosecution, but it's also not unheard of. So so why Brian and why now? Well, that's a political question. You'd have to you uh -huh. have to speak okay. to people and make those decisions. Well, okay, yeah, and, and I mean, I wonder who 
who does make those decisions, there was talk because it had only been when the police commissioner, who was a Hillsong attendee, Andrew Scipioni, had retired. It coincided with the time the investigation started and they're all rumours wars and rumours of wars. So, yeah, thank you so, so much. So, hmm. A couple of weeks ago, I gathered a couple of people and we read the 27-page verdict out that Magistrate Gareth Christofi delivered on the 17th of August this year. His decision over, uh, you know, his decision for a, a guilty or not guilty and his reasons behind that. And as I just said to you, this this judge, he, he paid very close attention. He had conversations with witnesses to clarify things. You know, he, he made comments that he was following the, the details of the case. And to a lot of us, it seems like a very broad result. I mean, please, as, as sure. you would I like, mean, please the, 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 tell me what you see. There's nothing particularly unusual about the judgment as I read it in that sense. Um, Any judge or magistrate has the task of summarising the evidence, explaining the law, applying the evidence to the law and coming to a conclusion. As I read the judgment, I can see that Zona has gone through and uh, summarised a deal of the evidence that was called. No doubt he could have sat there for five days, uh, laboriously going through every detail of the evidence, which wouldn't necessarily assist anyone. It would certainly chew up enormous resources better used elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What he has done, and I can say this as someone who wasn't at the hearing, uh, so I can only read the judgment and, and understand the evidence in that way, it seems to me to clearly and thoroughly summarise what he, the magistrate, is satisfied happened, and then to consider what the legal consequences of that is. So okay. in any long matter, whether it's a local court hearing or a Supreme Court fight about money or whatever else, there's always a lot of evidence. And what the task of the magistrate or judge is, is to summarize it and to explain and present the evidence that they think is important in reaching the decision that they make. The, the, the role of a magistrate's reasons or any judicial officer's reasons is to explain the decision so that, in particular, this kind of circumstance, we as the public can have confidence that justice was done or at least understand why the decision was made, even if we disagree with it. And it seems to me that's what is on his sort to do. He could always summarise more. He could have written 54 pages or 270 pages, but this is, in his view at least, uh, enough detail to properly explain the decision that he's made. And in any hearing, there'll be a lot of evidence called that ends up not being very relevant or not being particularly helpful for the magistrate in resolving the matter. And again, without having been there, it may well be that a lot of evidence that was called ended up falling away in terms of relevance to the ultimate decision that his honour had to make. And I mean, just to update anyone who hasn't been following along, the decision that His Honour had to make was whether or not, uh, because if you conceal a, a, this serious offence, so, you know, you know, please forgive me, but it, it, your next door neighbour kills her husband and then says you can't tell anyone and you don't tell anyone because she said to you, I'll kill you if you say a word. One of the defences for not taking the knowledge of that offence to authorities, to the police, is fear for your own safety, yeah, fear sure. for your life. Sure, yeah. And then one of them is if the victim of the child's sexual assault is an adult at the time 
of disclosure, is this right? And they don't want to proceed with any police interaction, then uh, you have to abide by their wishes. Is that the, the correct? Is that... <laughs> it, it is. So there's various defences available. And as the judgment sets out, there is a non-exhaustive list of what can be a reasonable excuse. And that includes, as you've said a moment ago, if the alleged victim was an adult and the person believes the, the alleged victim did not want the information reported. So in those circumstances, well, I'll, I'll take a step backwards. Every criminal offence has what you call elements, essential elements that need to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. And in this case, there were, as the judgment says again, three elements that weren't in dispute. Um, it wasn't disputed that Frank Houston did commit a serious indictable offence. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in dispute that Brian knew or believed that that happened. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't in dispute that he didn't bring it to the attention of the police. The okay. entire focus of the hearing was whether whether he had a reasonable excuse to not do so. And if the court accepts he had a reasonable excuse, uh, then he has a defense available. And there's a common sense of that in the sense that I can't speak for the victim and I don't know anything about who he is or what his circumstances are. But if he genuinely didn't want the matter reported to police, you can understand why the law would then not make it a criminal offence for someone not to yeah. not report it to the police in, in that kind of context. I mean, and then I, I guess it seemed to come down to what Brett Sengstock, the, the complainant, the victim said. It seemed to come down to what the complainant wished would happen and what Brian Houston perceived as his wishes. And it as yes, that's exactly went, correct. Seemed to seemed to get harder and harder to prove that how do you know what someone's thinking and what someone else is feeling and, and whether it's well that is exactly right this, this is a common problem in criminal law i mean if you think about a an average adult sexual assault prosecution one of the elements for sexual assault to be proved is that the complainant was not consenting mm -hmm. now as a matter of common sense only the complainant his or herself could possibly know for certain what their state of mind was and yet for a criminal prosecution a jury or a judge needs to be satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt what that person's state of mind was. Now, often, as in this case, the person whose state of mind is in question can give evidence and the court can hear the evidence and, and draw its own conclusions about that. But when the court has to reach a conclusion about a state of mind or what someone's intention was or what they believed at a certain time, it is hard. It's, it's often incredibly hard to prove these things beyond a reasonable doubt. Hmm. And I think that's a large part of what's gone on in relation to this matter because the Crown has had a deal of trouble proving beyond a reasonable doubt that Brian Houston did not have a reasonable excuse based upon what he believed. Brian's lead lawyer, Philip Bolton, a very, very senior lawyer in the community from what I understand. He's one of the, he's one of the best in the game. Phil's a, a, a tremendous barrister. If I needed someone arguing for my life, okay. Phil would be on the shortlist without okay. a shadow of a doubt. It didn't work for Jared Hayne, though. Well, even the best lawyer in the world doesn't win every case. I'll tell you that. You can only yeah, play the hand that you've got sometimes. Yeah, that, there was uh, certainly more evidence in that case. He's a former Hillsonger as well. Uh, Is he? So, okay. I mean, yeah, he was the, the darling boy until things got a little oh, bit... I didn't know that. Okay. Unpleasant. Well, Brian does love rugby. That's what he really, truly loves. Sorry, so uh, Mr Bolton argued they went for costs uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I saw that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he argued that the Crown should never have run the case in the first place. So 
that it was just never going to work. What do you think? Oh, it's hard to say because I've only read the judgment. I wasn't there for all the evidence. I haven't seen the police brief of evidence that summarized the witness statements and set out the evidence they expected to be called. It's very difficult. And I think it's always important to be careful to not uh, sit here having only seen how the evidence fell and say what police should or shouldn't have done all that time ago. I I will say that this always seemed like it would be a difficult prosecution for the reasons we've just discussed a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was right or wrong to to do that, you can only say that if you know the information police had at the time and what evidence they believed would be called and sort of put yourself in their shoes at the time. It was never going to be an easy prosecution. Whether it should or shouldn't have been done is something I don't think you can really say without having, without knowing exactly what information yeah. they had at the time. And, you know, he, he does make rather kind of serious and strong statements. Brian spent a million dollars, it turns out, on that. Yes, I saw that too. Uh, is everybody entitled to costs who is found not guilty? No, not at all. Uh, in civil proceedings, if you crash into my car and I sue you, generally speaking, the loser pays the winner's costs. Okay. Uh, so that's a kind of general rule of thumb in civil law. Criminal law is very different. Defendants almost never have to pay the prosecution's costs and the prosecution very rarely has to pay the defendant's costs. Again, just to oversimplify for present purposes, it needs to have been unreasonable to prosecute. And just the fact that Brian was acquitted, just the fact he was acquitted doesn't in any way entitle him to costs. Uh, The court's looking to apply a much higher bar to whether he should have his costs awarded to him. Uh, So it's, it's never easy to get costs as a successful defendant, which is, you know, galling to some people when they spent money defending themselves and find out that all they get is a apology and a handshake. Yeah, if you're lucky, yeah. you, you generally as a defendant don't get your costs back. So, I mean, they would know all this going into the courtroom. I wonder why they've proceeded. Oh, with- well, they, they, they may well get their costs here. I don't know enough to say whether they should or shouldn't. They may well be awarded costs, but it, it's never easy to get costs. That's for sure. Hmm, that would feed into a lot of the kind of, you know, people. They, they, there's some very different camps, I'll tell you, Andrew. And, uh, <laughs> of course there are. I mean, I mean, there's people that absolutely, but you know, believe that Brian was incredibly hard done by and this was, a, you know, a, a terrible persecution. And then, of course, it affects not just the people within Hillsong and evangelicals. So, you know, we have a history in this country of not, you know, a fantastic run necessarily of prosecuting sex offenders in the church. Sure. The concealers are, you know, another arm or two length away from accountability. So, you know, a lot of other people not related to Hillsong had had a kind of a dog in this fight and wanted to see something approximating justice. So where, what do we do with this piece of legislation now, it, given that it, it – was it the legislation, sorry, that that was at fault or was it? The- no, I, I don't think so. I mean, in my opinion, and others might disagree, in circumstances where if a complainant doesn't want someone to go, so say your cousin tells you they were sexually assaulted, but says, I don't want to go to the police. I don't want you to go to the police. I wouldn't want the law to require me to go to police in those circumstances. So this hearing went against the prosecution far less because, well, not because there was a problem with the law or some stupid drafting, which does does happen, believe me. But in in this case, it seems to be a factual dispute about what the victim wanted to happen 
and what Brian believed he wanted to happen. And it's simply a matter that turned on its own individual facts because the, the court was not satisfied that the victim hadn't told Brian he didn't want to go to the police, which is a horrible triple negative. And I'm sorry about that, but that, that is what, what the decision was. The court wasn't sure that the victim hadn't told Brian that he didn't want to go to police. Okay. A, tri- a triple negative. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's some beyond reasonable doubt stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And and to come back around to what we said earlier, these things are hard to prove. It is very difficult to prove what was or wasn't said in a conversation, you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, But that's that's what the law requires before someone can be convicted of this offence. I mean, one of the famous cases in Australia was of of the now – no longer living George Pell, the Cardinal, who, you know, his his biggest kind of reputation flaws were for. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Moving priests around that had prolifically abused children and been moved around, and it was you know, almost obvious, but he still wasn't wasn't able to be sort of really followed up on that. I mean, I don't know if they tried, but... And I know people were very disappointed when his own sexual offences were overturned. There was a real... Sure. I mean, do you have anything... Do you have anything to say to people who do want to proceed with kind of legal justice against, or you know, pertaining to these large religious institutions how hard it is to kind of get anything to move or to because but just interestingly when you were talking about the evidence and who thought what brian has said things and he stated them as facts and he might be mentioning other people who might completely disagree with him but that then gets tendered in as you know the facts that so it's it even just comes down to this evidence is is all it comes down to isn't it not even necessarily the truth yeah, and I mean, the uh, case isn't so much about finding out the truth. It's about finding out what the prosecution can prove. Uh, and that's why we have the, these burdens of proof. Um, there's a there, there's a cliche where suspicion isn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Even grave suspicion isn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Even if you think someone's probably done something, that isn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, heaven knows I've said that to juries over the years. It, it, it's only if the case is proved beyond a reasonable doubt that you can be convicted and punished for an offence. And that is a high bar. And frequently uh, you get the sense that a a judge or a magistrate or a jury think the person probably did it, but on a proper application of beyond reasonable doubt, they weren't satisfied beyond reasonable doubt. And that's 
it's pretty tough for a victim or a complainant or someone affected by crime to to accept. I, yeah, I've yeah. never had to wrestle with that myself, fortunately, but I, I have no difficulty believing it's difficult isn't even nearly a strong enough word. But that's that's the test we have for criminal charges beyond reasonable doubt. And much as, as it may vex someone on Monday, they might get the protection of that on Tuesday. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 very difficult. I can't imagine the the again distress probably isn't a strong enough word uh, that people felt about all this. Whether the verdict's right, wrong, or indifferent, people are going to be upset, and I understand that. I mean, they the detectives had been working since 2016 at least. The prosecution, I I have to admit, I did not know that it was one long theatre show for three weeks that you know the prosecution built up and told this incredible story that they were trying to present and you, you know the detail was meticulous they they had subpoenaed the 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 flight records from 1999 when Brian had first found out about these allegations against his father and I can't remember who they claimed was over oh no he can't meet with you he's overseas and you know, the detectives subpoenaed from Qantas. What's the word? Not subpoenaed. Sorry. By search warrant? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they and they got him and found out that, no, it wasn't, you know, he had said Frank was away when, in fact, it was him or, or the reverse. And that was a question that came from one of our listeners as well. Now, getting back to this evidence thing and Brian just saying, there were some stories that had evolved since the Royal Commission investigated, you know, their responses to this very same matter in 2014, if statements contradict each other, is there any follow-up for perjury for any of these people? <laughs> in, in theory, it's possible. In practice, it's very, very hard. You can hmm. quite easily prove that someone's incorrect in the evidence that they gave. It's very difficult to prove it was a deliberate lie. I mean, if my job teaches me anything, is that memories are very, very strange and malleable things. Mm -hmm. um, three people will be at an event or see something happen and give such different versions of events that you wonder if they were on the same planet when they saw this happen. But people have these memories that remember stuff very, very differently. People misremember stuff and get confused and muddle things together and get dates wrong and get locations wrong all the time, every single day of the week. So just as a matter of practicality, prosecuting someone for perjury is incredibly difficult to prove that they deliberately lied rather than were mistaken or confused or, or something else. But, but as a general proposition, prosecutions for perjury are extremely rare in New South Wales. Again, they're not completely unheard of, but they're very, very rare. And I'd be very surprised. I mean, I again, I don't know all the details of who you have in mind, uh, but I'd be very surprised if there's follow through and anything like that. Well, interestingly enough, one of the former offsiders of Brian, this pastor called John McMartin, perjured big time. It was, okay. you know, it was incredible, and his honour ended up calling him incoherent and unreliable. He, you know, he denied having ever received a letter, and then, you know, before too long, gave evidence that you know that these letters were locked in a file, and they were. They sent out a warrant straight away and went through the church and brought the file back and stuff. So we were wondering if there was even going to be follow-up to that quick question. Is the is the oath at a royal commission any different to the oath in court? 
I don't know if the exact words are the same, but the concept, the, the meaning is the same. Okay. Uh, you, you, if you take an oath and lie, it's a, it's, it's perjury. There, yeah. It doesn't matter whether you are, I don't know, at the crime commission or a royal commission or in a jury trial or the local court. I know it's an oath and it's, it's perjury no matter what. Now, the likelihood of follow-up might change. The, the consequences on sentence, if we got to that point, might change. Uh, but telling a lie under oath is... Here's some legal yep. advice for listeners. It's a bad idea no matter what. You shouldn't do it. Oh, I just <laughs> I appreciate I hear different, you know, Monday experts kind of sure. opinions here and there. And, you know, some of them are quite close to the the, the thoughts. So, it's just, yeah, it's great to follow it up. Now, Is can we talk about this good character thing, please? Um, sure. Look, it's of some debate I know currently there's a move to, to change it in certain parts of or the court system, but again, it came up. And and it got to this John McMartin character. He was, what's the word? Completely unrelated. He was in court last year himself for a charge of an indecent assault. And one of the things that was brought into his appeal was that he was of good character. Now, how do you know he's of good character? Because he runs a Pentecostal church and has done for 40 years. And that gave some weight to the to the overturning of his conviction. Now, this is, you know, it was brought in again that Keith Ainge, who was the secretary of the AOG 25 years ago and runs a church in Darwin or Northern Territory, some Alice Springs, you know, real lucky of Brian's. Keith Ainge said that Brian was very honest and a top sort of guy and um, his honour said and that remained unchallenged. So the conclusion is Brian is of good character. I mean, how much bearing does this have? This is somebody, you know, who's treated the tax department out of $80 million that we know of, uh, amongst other things. So good character isn't the first thing that that jumps to mind. That's fair enough. Look, good character is a tricky issue. When it comes to any sort of criminal trial, whether it's this kind of offence or sexual assault or fraud or armed robbery, whatever you like, if a person doesn't have criminal convictions, a court can take that into account in okay. deciding the matter. And the court can also look at whether people say positive things about the person. Now, in any trial, that will be just one piece of the puzzle uh, in deciding whether the offence is proved. But there are some standard legal directions every judge would give a jury or every magistrate would remind themselves about when sitting without a jury. And that's that someone who is of good character, all things being equal, is less likely to commit an offence and less likely to uh, lie about committing an offence. Now, that's that's, that's common sense. If someone has a long record for uh, criminal offending, all things being equal, you would say they're much more likely to have committed a further criminal offence. What judges often go on to say is, of course, Good character isn't a complete defense to anything. Everyone with a criminal record once upon a time had no criminal convictions. And many people who have, well, well thought of, do commit criminal offenses. But it's one of the factors the court takes into account. It's very rare, if ever, uh, that it is but one piece of the puzzle. And every day, people who are of good character are nonetheless found guilty for everything from drink driving to murder. But it is it is something the court is entitled the court or a jury is entitled to consider in deciding whether a person's done a criminal offence. To your question, how much weight? Well, that's just subjective. Uh, there, there, there's no way to know exactly what 
was the crucial thing or whether a court might have gone the other way or a jury might have gone the other way without good character. This is, uh, the law, uh, criminal cases aren't an arithmetic equation where if you manage to get a, like, like your ID, if you get to 100 points, then you're guilty. It's nothing like that. It's a subjective puzzle to, to really stretch the metaphor. And suppose good character evidence wasn't led. Would Brian have been found guilty? I, I couldn't possibly say. I will say that there are, that there are some categories of offences or alleged offences where good character is more important than others. So you think about someone alleged to have committed a, a fraud as an employee. They almost always have no criminal convictions because they're in a trusted position by definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you think about a, a priest who's accused of, of committing some sort of offence. Yeah. They would almost always have no criminal record. So in that kind of circumstance, mm. a, a good character direction probably is of I mean, it's a matter for the decision maker at the end of the day, but you'd think it's probably of less relevance there. On the other hand, say four people are alleged to have robbed a bottle shop and you're one of the people and you've never been in trouble before. You have a job, a family, you've you, you served in the community, you've never been in trouble, you're addicted to drugs, you're a perfectly ordinary, respectable person. Okay, yeah. That, that, that doesn't sound like someone who's likely to rob a bottle of. Now, if their DNA is everywhere anyway, you know what, they probably did it. Mm-hmm. But the good character is in that kind of circumstance probably going to carry far more weight than it would in the, in the priest example. It is subjective. It's not arithmetic. It's not about 10 points, 20 points, get to 100 points. It's just something that goes into the mix for a magistrate or a jury to consider. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like MasterChef. It, I mean, if we'd had... A different, <laughs> a <lot> like that. <laughs> yes. If you had a different magistrate and a different recipe, would there have been a different outcome? Potentially. If you ran this hearing 100 times with 100 magistrates, who knows where the stats would land? Okay. Uh, but magistrates are human, judges are human, juries are 12 individual humans. And the law is, in, in this kind of sense, subjective. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We're trying to decide uh, what a person's state of mind was uh, 20, what are we, four years later, based upon what they now say happened. Reasonable people will come to a different conclusion, which is just, I mean, that's a human experience, isn't it? But reasonable people will come to a different point of view and reasonable magistrates and reasonable judges and reasonable juries will come to a different point of view. Be amazed if there's any hearing that if yeah. you ran a hundred times, you'd get a hundred identical verdicts because it is subjective. Yeah. Yeah. That's not ideal. <laughs> It'd be nice yeah. if we could yeah. have some more predictability about it, but that's that's not how these things go. It's not about you know, some sort of scientific test that spits an answer out of a computer at the end. And, and I should probably should have asked you this at the beginning. I'm so sorry, but uh, can you can you give us a quick overview? Of what is this reasonable? What what does reasonable mean anyway? What's a reasonable excuse or a reason? How do you measure that? Again, it's subjective. Reasonable is used two different ways in this matter. Though. There's a reasonable excuse, which is about whether he had an excuse for. Uh, not reporting it to police. And there, there wasn't any dispute that if he truly believed the victim didn't want it reported, that that would be a reasonable excuse. But there's also reasonable doubt, which is a different thing entirely. Uh, there isn't a uh, dictionary definition or a picture you can draw or a graph you can point to or a percentage you can give about what reasonable doubt means. It's about whether you're satisfied the offence was committed and that you don't have a doubt that it occurred. Now, a reasonable doubt means... I mean, judges don't like explaining reasonable doubt to juries, and the law says they can't because the moment you try to explain it, you sort of create more questions than you answer. But to take a silly example, 
suppose someone's on camera committing an offense. Uh, is it possible that an alien came to Earth and assumed human form and copied his DNA and committed the offense? Well, I suppose it's possible. <laughs> is it reasonably possible? No, I don't think so. Almost nothing can ever be proved beyond any doubt whatsoever. So a reasonable doubt then invites the, a, a hypothetical jury to think about, well, do I have a doubt whether, whether this offense was committed? And is that doubt a reasonable doubt or is it wild speculation or something else? It, it is very subjective. As I say, there's no percentage, there's no graph, there's no diagram, but it's about taking those words, reasonable doubt, and giving them the ordinary English meaning and then weighing the law and the evidence against that test. I was told once it's like the man on the tram or something. Is that the, the man on the Bondi tram? No, th th that's the reasonable man, which is a whole different thing. Oh, okay. we, we love the word reasonable. It, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's okay. one of the ways we try to deal with subjective stuff. But it, it's about the individual decision maker applying their attention and their logic and their intelligence to the matter and deciding whether they're persuaded beyond a reasonable doubt that the offence was committed. And it, it sounds like the bar's pretty pretty high for that. It is. It, it Not is. Not straightforward. Um, Brian's awful. Um, Put him away. Yeah. Mm. There, there, there's no cliche that you don't use in court, but better that nine guilty people go free than one innocent person go to jail. It's not a particularly sensitive uh, expression to use yeah, uh, because yeah. the, the victims of those nine guilty people probably don't like that very much, and fair enough. But the law imposes a very high bar on a prosecutor to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. And unfortunately, I don't doubt for a second that guilty people do get found not guilty. And that's not a good thing. I don't, I don't celebrate that. Uh, but we impose the test beyond reasonable doubt because we don't want innocent people going to jail. Is that the right test? Should it be different? It's a valid question and a very reasonable discussion to have. But th that's what the law is. Again, this word reasonable, and as we were talking just before, and, and I mean this completely sincerely, there was a point at which the magistrate, Brian was giving evidence, and he was on the stand, and and he was, you know, that personality type. I mean, he deflects a lot anyway. There's not very deep answers. and But he had kept sort of avoiding direct questions, and at one point... His Honour said to sort of interjected and said, okay, Brian, what did you think was the right thing to do? And he was kind of deer in the headlights because he's, I mean, he's never, I would guess, asked for his own personal, personal, you know, critically thought out reasoned decision or reasons for things. He he knows what his advisors tell him, his board had told him, you know, his wife, his father used to say, what the Bible says, you know, it's all about faith. And so, I, you know, I really wonder how much difficulty these people had with this concept of, of what was reasonable, really important stuff. Now, just as a, as a, a late addition to this, former Gloria Jean's coffees operator, 50% of, and Hillsong board member and very best friend of Brian Charles Houston, as well as the person who was present when Brett Sangstock met with Frank Houston at the infamous McDonald's meeting where $10,000 was promised via a napkin. Frank was there. Brett Sangstock was there. The, the, the person we believe that either accompanied Frank or most likely drove him there as he was quite old by this point 
was Naughty Sally, the Gloria Jeans guy. And yet we read he was excused from testifying. I just want to, sorry, I just want to jump in this verdict, if that's okay. I'm, no, no, I was browsing to the part of the judgment. I had wanted to see, because we I, we did readings of it, so I, you know, ended up listening to this thing a few more times than most people. And I was so sure because he seemed so sharp. His honour was, you know, I, I understand he's a former police prosecutor. I don't know. You know, he was really, which not, and I started wondering if he was, um, you know, there was some reading between the lines to be done here because he kind of casts a bit of shade on the old Nabi here. Or is he casting it on the prosecution? You know, we understand that Nabi here was allowed not to, or, or was he not called? Is it, he wasn't, as I understand the judgment, he wasn't called to give evidence. And in fact, he never gave, or he refused to give a statement to the police okay. uh, about his recollections. Now, there are steps police can take to force is a strong word, but force a person to give evidence. And yeah. there, there's a whole lot of legal things that can happen. I, I don't know what was or wasn't done, and I don't know what reason, good or bad, these other witnesses may have had for not giving evidence. Uh, but as you say, um, they weren't called to give evidence in the case, and the court was left to decide the matter uh, without the benefit of what they had to say. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm just wondering because under legal directions in the decision, it was, you know, it, i got to say, I was wondering if he was trying to <clears throat> send us a bit of a <clears throat> message. But those are very standard directions in these kinds of matters. There's nothing unusual about what the magistrate said there. Yeah. So he says, there are also a number of witnesses which the Crown did not call but could have called and who might be expected to have given relevant evidence. These witnesses included Wayne Alcorn, Kevin Mudford and Nabi Sali. Mr Sali, for example might be expected to shed light on the payment that was made to Brett Sengstock, why it was paid and what was said when it was paid. So am I adding my own soap opera dramatic? Effect? Yeah, there's, oh, I wouldn't say soap opera, but that's a, that's a very standard thing to say when oh. there's apparently important witnesses who weren't called. Okay. I thought he was like, you know, trying to... Nah, that's a very standard... Nah, that's a normal choice of words. Okay. See... What else do you see that we need to know? Look, I think that's it. I mean, these cases are hard. Never going to be an easier prosecution. Only those who were there at the time can say whether it was a good idea or a bad idea. I don't know. I think we've kind of covered that off. Mm -hmm. If you're happy. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, thank you so, so much for your time. That's only a pleasure. I cannot thank you enough. See you soon. Bye. Bye, Andrew. And a huge, huge thank you to Andrew. Andrew Tate is a solicitor. He practices exclusively in criminal law. He is a New South Wales Law Society accredited specialist in criminal law and is a popular and prolific writer, speaker and podcast guest. You can find him at, uh, in other pods, not just ours. He's a director of the Sydney law firm J Sutton Associates and comes to us here at Leaving Hillsong from their office in Chatswood, Sydney. Thank you again, Andrew. That was incredibly illuminating. As much of 2023 has been, hasn't it? Thank you all so much for your support this year, for tuning in, for messaging, for comments, for donations, for Patreon support. It has all been 
hugely, hugely appreciated. This is an ongoing project. As you know, it evolves as this thing unravels, un evolves, changes, form, mutates, uh, and continues to fight for its life. We'd love to hear more from you, please. Get in touch. I've been a little bit absent from social media due to just being overwhelmed by work, responsibilities and life. But please get in touch and I will get back to you. Let me know what you like, what you didn't like, what you don't want, what you want more of. And please get in touch if you think it's time to share your story. Let us know. All we've got are the stories. I hope you have a safe and happy holidays. Please look after yourselves. Please be kind to yourselves. We've got a lot more work to do. Be kind to the people around you. And keep leaving Hillsong right through 2024. Happy New Year, everyone. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.